0: So much, all those on the platform, and uh, Pastor Stevens and Renee will be back. I think tomorrow, sometime. So he'll be here ministering all day on Sunday. And so let's not forget our Sunday schedule. Very important. We do have a serious men's class, and that's at 7:30. It's invaluable material. What you get in serious men, and uh, really encourage you to be a part of that. And then at 10 a.m. is our Sunday school, which continues with uh, Pastor Stephen's Sunday school on family curses, and then uh, the regular services at 11 a.m. and at 6.30 p.m. That's all on Sunday. Psalms chapter 13, open there in your Bibles. I'm sure there are some tired people here. Many of you stayed up perhaps three hours of the morning counting votes. <coughs> But it's over, thank God. Amen. A wearisome process, electing a president and all the anxieties involved in it. And so we're here tonight rejoicing. Thank God that we have salvation. Psalms 13. We're going to visit a portion of Scripture that is located in a a time in King David's life before he assumed the throne as king. In this time frame... David was exhausted. He was depressed, and the troubles that he had faced concerning King Saul and his enemies had been going on for quite some time—a number of years now. So, if you can imagine a long-standing, ongoing circumstance that you're facing in this place and in time in, in the life of David, he became very dispirited. And discouraged. He was at the end of his ability to continue and something needed to change. Many of us here tonight have been there or perhaps are currently residing there. No doubt we will and have found ourselves in David's shoes. Now this psalm that I'm going to read to you in Psalm 13 gives us a very keen insight to a frame of mind, a depth of emotion, and the victory that's available. very powerful portion of Scripture. There's a pastor and Bible commentator, John Phillips, and he made this statement, man's extremity is God's opportunity. So when we are at our wit's end perhaps without the resource to go on, or at a loss for for a way, maybe even perplexed, desperate, tired, or weary, that is usually when we see God begin to work. I want to encourage you with this sermon. The title of this is called, How Long, O Lord? I remember years ago, I was a single man, a disciple, and I was going through all manner of trials in my life. And I remember we were in a... No, it wasn't a revival. What it was is a Sunday service. And I don't remember. It was somebody from here that was out of this church that was preaching that Sunday. Uh, That morning, I had gotten just horribly sick. It was one of the few times I'd ever missed church. Uh, And I showed up that night. And I remember he gave me a word. And the first words out of his mouth is, You said, How long, O Lord? And that certainly... Uh, You know what it was about that it wasn't so much because he didn't solve anything for me It was just the fact that I felt like god knew God was watching god was aware. Amen. And that's what I want you to see tonight How long O lord psalms 13 Beginning in verse 1 how long O lord Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, and lest I sleep the sleep of death. He was depressed. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How long, O Lord? I want to first consider the place of spiritual frustration and discouragement. Because you are going to find yourself at this point every once in a while as you walk with God. And what makes frustration and discouragement problematic is when it settles in as a status in your life. It's one thing to have a bad day or two or a short, very short period of time and, and these emotions begin to get a hold of you. It's a whole other thing when these begin to settle in and become a status of your life. I'm dealing with a person, Ernie and I are dealing with him. It's been an ongoing, uh, long, prolonged thing and, and the, the symptom is, is depression. Now, there are reasons for depression and, and they're not always all chemical imbalances and, uh, but there's very spiritual but, but the point is, uh, it's become a status in his life, uh, and this, this is when it becomes uh, uh, very unhealthy. So in this text, David is in such a place, and has been for quite some time now. This particular season of life, this particular trial, is really weighing on him. He has become exasperated to the point that his cry has become worrisome, As he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And what's happening is David is beginning to misinterpret God. He is lamenting long-standing situations in his life that have not changed. And have caused extreme weariness. And he goes on to say, I have sorrow daily. Have you been there? I've been there before. I have sorrow daily. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that this is just not wearing me out. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So he had people in his life that were oppressing him and and it didn't seem like anything was changing. Now three times he cries out, How long, O Lord? And there are two different flows of this or meanings of this. The, The actual... Word it taps an emotional and mental condition that David is dealing with, and the first time that he says "How long, O oh Lord?" it comes from the Hebrew word erotesis, and it's asking a question without waiting for or expecting an answer. It's just an emotional blurb, and when you put it all together, as he says it three times, you get the Hebrew word anaphora. It is the repetition of the same word at the beginning of a successive sentence and its purpose is to add emphasis to the the person's statement or argument. And so, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So it seems as though David is so desperate that he's almost rhetorically saying, Lord, I'm talking to you. I'm trying to get through to you. You ever been there? You start acting like as if God just isn't there anymore or somehow He's ignoring you. That's exactly what's happening with David. For those of us that remember the days of landline phones, some of you that just can't let go probably still have one, but the majority don't. You would call and you would get this busy signal if the person you're calling was on the phone. It was very frustrating because if it was an emergency or you really had to, and you'd call and it would just be frustrating. And you didn't have caller ID. And so they could stay on the phone who knows how long, and you're trying to get a hold of them. Which is probably why they created pagers. And it seems as though David felt somehow that God had forgotten him. You know, that could be a, a pretty tough emotion to deal with. Or worse yet, he felt as though God had forsaken him. How long will you hide your face from me, O Lord? So here's a place that you may find yourself at tonight. Here's where the Bible counsels you to not become weary in doing good. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36... Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So here's a a very real place that we can find ourselves in, that we're losing confidence. We've become weary. We're just holding on. Now, David has been promised the throne, so think about this. He's already His future is already projected for him. He has this great promise and future that's set before him. But, but it's becoming more and more dim. He's not, he's not seeing past all the clutter of his life in the immediate realm. And, and he's, this is slipping him. And at this juncture in his life, it's all kind of fuzzy and a distant dream at best. You know, I thought about Joseph because, you know, it is amazing that he could spend 13 or 14 years of his life in the circumstance that he did, being sold into slavery, being accused of a wrongdoing he didn't do, ending up in prison, being forgotten in prison, and finally the whole thing culminates and God moves, but... You know, it's so easy that when you're when you're dealing with this type of trial in life, things can just kind of become a distant dream at best. David really is at a critical juncture in his life. He's at what we would call a crisis of faith, and it's very easy to allow spiritual frustration and discouragement to take over your emotions in a time like this. Prayer seems so much harder. And so much more of a labor. Staying faithful begins to lose its appeal. Staying involved just seems to be a burden. Being around people almost makes you feel like you have to fake your way through it. Because really inside you, you'd rather just be by yourself. This is a very real place you're going to find yourself in. And this is a critical place that you need to be careful that your feet do not slip spiritually speaking, or you do not lose heart, or lose stamina, to the point of beginning to make some bad decisions. Now let me talk secondly about God's prolonging. Because this is where tension points begin to build. When when we're asking, we're seeking, we're being faithful, we're doing all but yet it just seems like God is not moving. He is prolonging We're still stuck in this situation. And the longer that you face a particular trial... Or set of circumstances... The more prone to losing heart you become. Now the bigger issue is... God... Why are you letting this happen? Which you have to be really careful about going there, by the way. It's tempting... But you have to be careful. Or... God, how much longer... Are you going to allow this to happen? And the problem is that those are anxious prayers. And if if you'll ever notice, like I've noticed in my own life, when I start praying like that, I don't walk away from prayer feeling like I really interacted with God. I don't walk away feeling like I actually left my burdens with Him. I walk away feeling more burdened. This plea can weary you. And this was the burden of the prophet Habakkuk when he was prophesying. And in his generation, I mean, it's it's a parallel to where we're at today. He saw so much social injustice, corruption, deceit, people of power that were taking advantage of others. uh, People that were seeming to get away with crimes. This was what his environment was like. And, And listen to what he says in Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence. In other words, God, don't you see? But you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention. Therefore the law is powerless. In other words, people are just getting away with whatever they do. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So this prophet was at a crisis point. And he's the one that came to the conclusion and God intervened and said, The just shall live by faith. But it was after this crisis point he, he faced. That he was struggling with what seemed to be God's inactivity. Where he felt God should be very active, bringing judgment in his day. And God was telling him, well actually God was just quiet at first. And after he cries out and pleads, God breaks in. But he does not tell him what he wanted to hear. He just says, wait. So there's something that we need to realize about God. When he prolongs a situation or seems to be ignoring it. Before God is concerned with doing anything about your situation, He is first concerned with doing something in you. Now, I know that doesn't alleviate, if you happen to be in this situation tonight, it doesn't alleviate your circumstance. You're like, okay, that doesn't help me. It does, if you'll, if you'll get that in your spirit. God's first priority is not your situation, it's you, it's me. It's what he has planned for our lives. And God is grooming David to be the next king. This is no small thing. There are things in David's life that God has to fashion and prepare. And he is allowing this situation uh, to do that very thing. As you remember, he made some bad alliances and some bad decisions during this whole wilderness experience he went through. And no doubt, it taught him a lot. And when you read the Psalms, a good majority of the Psalms were written during this time of his life. See, because God is looking to develop our character. Character is developed in the crucible where the, the fire heats it up. Think about Job for a minute. And the fact that God allows this major trial to hit his life, which lasted for quite some time. But we know by having the whole story that God used this to produce virtue in him. And the New Testament records in James 5.11, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. And seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So yeah, God allowed this circumstance and it went on for quite some time. But in the end, he had accomplished something just like he's trying to accomplish in your life. Now, I'm going to read a little illustration. Uh, This has been around a long time. Some of you will remember it right away. Some have never heard it, but I want to read it again. Once upon a time, there was a man who was sleeping at night in his cabin. And when suddenly his room was filled with light and the Savior appeared, the Lord told the man he had work for him to do. He showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might. This man did this day after day. For many years he toiled from sun up. The sun down, his shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing with all of his might. Each night, the man returned to his cabin sore and worn out, feeling his whole day had been spent in vain. Seeing that the man was showing signs of discouragement, and this is, here it is right here, Satan decided to enter in. That's what he does when you're discouraged. He entered the picture placing thoughts into the man's mind, such as, you've been pushing this rock for a long time. It hasn't budged. Why kill yourself over this? You're never going to move it. So the man, giving the man the impression that the task was impossible and that he was a failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man even more. Why kill myself over this, he thought. I'll just put in my time, give just the minimum of effort, and, and it'll be good enough. So he planned to do that until one day he decided to make this a matter of prayer and take his troubled thoughts to the Lord. Lord, he said, I've labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do what you've asked me to do. Yet after all this time, I've not even budged that rock half a millimeter. What is wrong? Why am I failing? To this the Lord responded compassionately. My child, when long ago I asked you to serve me and you accept it, I told you your task was to push the rock with all your strength, which you have done. Never once did I mention that, you, that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push. And now you come to me, your strength spent thinking you failed, but is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back sinewed and brown. Your hands are calloused from the constant pressure. Your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you've grown much and your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. Yet you haven't moved the rock, but your calling was to be obedient and push and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. This you've done. I will move the rock. what What a fitting illustration when you're in David's position in life when you're, you're staying faithful you're doing what you're supposed to do but you, you've met this massive obstacle of life things that, that have not worked out uh, and it seems like you're, you're wearing yourself out and getting nowhere uh, and to realize in the midst of it if you just step back God is working in you God is doing something in you that he couldn't do in any other way in life What can be interpreted as God abandoning us simply means really that God knows what He's doing. That there's a work that God wants to accomplish in and around our lives that can only be done sometimes when He prolongs. This allows His plan and purpose to ripen and mature in our lives. You know, when you read the Bible, it's filled with Men and women that endured times of God's silence or seeming abandonment only to see God's powerful fulfillment and interaction when it was all said and done. And the Bible still those stories of of, of the Hannah's uh, and and the Abraham's and the Sarah's. uh, and, And we can go on and on. And at the end of it all, when it was all said and done, God birthed this amazing, powerful thing in their life. So always remember this one thing. The intensity of your trial is controlled from on high. Now, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to get a grip on that. Because it will help you. But God really is in charge, even if you don't feel like He is. Because God has something to teach us. And He has an end product in mind. And although slowly things are moving forward, which you would surely like them to be quicker. The problem is we tend to come from an impatient viewpoint and therefore we can't see what God is doing. We have the blinders of impatience. Now the problem with David's predicament was that he was no longer the master of his emotions. This is when you're beginning to spiral if you're not careful, when you're no longer master of your emotions, they're master over you. They dictate your responses, they dictate your view, they dictate your perspective, they dictate your conversation. And his feelings of despair brought him low. His enemies brought him low. But you know, in the midst of it all, little did David know at that time, the spiritual giant he was becoming due to God prolonging this trial in his life. Little did he know. The powerful work God was doing in him and shortly he would see. So let me conclude with David's resolve. Because David comes to a conclusion, and what really struck me about this is God never spoke. He comes to this conclusion without God ever speaking. David says, Consider and hear me, O Lord. But God never speaks. And in the first two verses, David is crying out almost incoherently and certainly very emotionally. And as we determined his first time, how long, oh Lord, he's asking without even expecting or waiting for an answer. You know, at least if we're going to talk to God, give him some time to speak. You know? We're we're throwing all this stuff at God, throwing it okay, shh. Have you ever tried to have a conversation and, and your your kid is going, Mommy, 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 would you be quiet? We're talking. Matter of fact, you need to teach your kids to say, excuse me, before they butt into a conversation. But anyway, that's not my business. You know, here you are. Oh, how long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord? Shh. shh, shh. You've got some time to tell you. <laughs> but you know, God never spoke in this. Because David began after the initial emotional, incoherent prayer. He enters into a more rational, deliberate, thoughtful prayer. This is, this is where you have to get to right here. Now you can have your moments. We all are. You're human. You've got to get a hold of yourself and begin to enter into prayer in such a deliberate, rational, thoughtful manner. And the amazing thing here is David, I mean literally, David swings from gloom to, to gladness in a moment of time. Now people hate it when you tell them you can, you, you know, that it isn't all about your circumstances because they, they just want some quick fix. And, well, you know, most of the time you bring your circumstances. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know when. I really don't. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you. But I can tell you that you can go from the gloom that you're feeling now to gladness before we leave this place tonight. The key to this swing is not a mystery. David began to focus his eyes firmly upon the Lord, his God. Where before, he's just focused on the longevity of this trial. And gosh, when is this going to end? When is a chapter going to turn in my life? Uh, And he went from that fatalistic approach to beginning to focus firmly upon the Lord, And it is true that what you focus on in life has everything to do with how you think, the words you speak, and the things you dwell upon. Which will then determine your emotional mood and will affect your faith. This is why the Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Here, David begins to change. All of his desperate, emotion-driven words begin to change to something that he could now sink his faith into and encourage himself with. Now, I want you to take note that, and I don't know how long after this that things changed in his life, but it didn't change at the end of this psalm. But he changed at the end of the psalm. Circumstance still the same. Still facing the same obstacle, but something in him radically changed because he begins to change his focus. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, but I've trusted in your mercy. It's almost like he's reminding himself what got him to this point because this isn't the first time and it wasn't going to be the last time that he was at this desperate point in his life. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So he went from Lord, uh, uh, are you even there? Uh, Knock, knock, Lord, Um, do you even care? Are you even listening? To the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. All in the same prayer. All in the same moment before God. And then draws upon the salvation experience. Reminds himself about the mercy of God. Offers praise to God. And reminds himself how good God has been in spite of all of this. How good God has been. Before you know it, he goes from gloom to gladness. And the thing to note is nothing around him has changed, but he has. See, God is not finished with you. He's not finished with me. As long as we're in this body of flesh and live in this fallen world, we're going to face these seasons. But let's remember in Psalms 30 verse 5 when he says weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning. Now that may not be literal in the sense of tonight you cry before God in the morning it's all good. But it's a picture of something fresh, a new day, a new beginning. That that's what we have to look forward to in our salvation that though the elements of life may cause weeping, uh, that God will cause joy. And you too need to make resolve, the same resolve that David made in his heart. Begin to focus on the goodness of God. Think about the awesomeness of salvation. And as long as your trust is in God, and you're established in His Word, You will be able to stand in the midst of whatever trial you face, however long it may be. And you'll be able to go from gloom to gladness. And you may have to do that every day for a while. I remember before I got that word, and and though things didn't change, I changed. It was just something about the fact that God recognized my situation that just set me free. But before that happened, every day, multiple times a day, I remember just anguishing in this trial. I don't even remember what the trial was today. Probably good that I don't. But but whatever it was, it was tough. But God is able to take your gloom and turn it to gladness just by the change of your prayer. And rest assured, there's a mountaintop to every mountain. And then it's downhill from there. You may be the grind up the mountain right now. But every mountaintop or every mountain has a mountaintop. Once you get up, not only can you see clearly, but now you're on your way down. It's a lot easier. See, God never spoke in this psalm. But David draws upon all that God is and comes to a conclusion allows God to intervene. See, this is where you'll find refreshing and endurance. It's not, i got to have everything changed or forget it. Well, then forget it. Because there's no guarantee. Now, I'm saying simply on a short term, God is going to get involved for you. Okay, you're not going to live this nightmare for the rest of your life. And whatever you may be afflicted with, or a situation that perhaps is a very, very long term. Uh, there is this amazing grace of God that will carry you. I think about Pastor Warner. I think about the last two plus months of his life. He has had to literally lay on his side. And he can only flip to the other side for 23 out of 24 hours a day. He can only sit up one hour a day. He's been this for a couple of months now. Healing. How does he do it? Obviously, he's tapping something. He's tapping something supernatural that keeps him fresh and enduring. And I, I don't know. I don't talk to him about it. Pastor Stevens does. He's human. I guarantee he has struggles with it. But at the end of the day, the pastor will talk to him. There's inspiration. There's sermons flowing out of him. Recently, he sat up, uh, and that time he sat up, he had them live stream him, and he preached to his church that way from his house. How long, O oh Lord? That's not always the right prayer. But it's the latter part that set David free. That I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He's dealt bountifully with me. And that was it. God didn't need to speak. God didn't need to tell Him how long. He didn't need to answer the question. He was fine. And on He went until the season of His life changed. There's there's a, a presence and a grace of God to help you here tonight, to meet with you, to encourage you That God is working, listen, God is working in you. Something far greater than you can understand. When it was all over, David was on the throne. That's the way God works. I can tell you that I can look, and anybody that served God for an amount of time, every major trial I've gone through, I've come out better. More resolve, more of God, more understanding, but the time itself was tough business, man. That would just rather not have dealt with that. And with those, you develop reference points. And that's what David had. Lord, but I trusted in your mercy. He's talking as if he's just looking back, saying, that's what's got me through before. That's what's going to get me Wait a second. What am I doing? That's what's going to get me through now. That's what you need to remind yourself of. You need to tap into tonight. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we... Open our hearts to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of His encouragement, the Spirit of His help tonight. You may be sitting under the sound of my voice, and this is all relatively new to you. You may not be super comfortable even sitting in this assembly tonight, but but God's getting your attention. Every man, woman, and child needs Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can live life the way it was meant to be through Jesus Christ. The devil has wreaked havoc on people's lives, homes, families. We live in a fallen world that's filled with sin. There's curses of all sorts at work and there's only one real solution to it. People are hooked on all sorts of prescription drugs today and antidepressants and all manner of things because they don't know how to cope. People are filled with anger and the emotions that are destroying them inside. Emotions that are destroying families. And, and the majority of those people you talk to, and even the ones that won't admit it, really do want to change. Just figure it's the way I've been all this time. People have done this and that to me. And so I'm just going to go to my grave this way. But you know what? I want to ask you to stop for a minute. And hear my appeal. You don't have to live that way. Your life can be changed. Your circumstance can be changed. Your family can be changed. Your attitude can be changed. God is a miracle worker. This is what we represent here. We're not these high-flying, perfect people. We simply acknowledged our sin before a holy God, asked Jesus Christ to come into our lives, and really meant it, and begin to live for God. And what a miracle! What a miracle! God is offering this to you tonight. Jesus died for everybody, excluding nobody. You're here, the sound of my voice, and you need Jesus Christ. You're ready to get your life right. You're ready to let God begin to heal you, forgive you, change you. And you say, you know what? That's me. That's you're reading my life. That's that's what I need. That's what I want. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something for me, just to acknowledge. You want us to pray with you about this. Just slip your hand up. You know, that's me. I'm ready to get right tonight. Would you you just pray with me with this? I need God's help. You're here and you say, that's me. That's my life. I'm ready to give it to Jesus Christ. No more doing it my way. Put aside any religious affiliation or beliefs. I'm talking about accepting Jesus Christ. This is not a church thing. It's not a denominational thing. This is about Jesus and you and our sins and His forgiveness. And we need to come before God on His terms. And that begins with repenting. Jesus, I'm sorry. And miracle happens. It's powerful. If that's you and you want that tonight, I want you just to lift your hand up so I can see it. As soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you. Thank you here. Thank you. Who else? Others here. Thank you. I'm ready. I, I want to align my life with Jesus Christ. I want God's help. I want God's blessing. Maybe life is really mounted up and it's, it's out of control and you really don't know what to do. You know what? I'm not saying by giving your life to Christ by tomorrow everything's solved. But I'll tell you what. You'll change. And when you change, it will slowly begin to change your circumstance, your life, your marriage, your family. time to come to christ do it his way lean on god stop leaning on yourself others along with these honest hearts that's me i'm not right i'm ready to get right tonight just lift your hand up so i can see it put it right back down we're just going to say a simple prayer with you god is going to meet with you who would that be anybody else maybe you're backslidden and there's no more tormenting place to be than knowing the truth and not living it seeing the mess of your life you know don't let the devil hold you in condemnation. It's time to come back to Christ. He will receive you just as you are and he'll do his miracle all over again. And you have to come on his terms and, you're, back, and you're, you're ready to come back to Christ. Lift your hand up. Who would that be all across this place? God's dealing with you right now. It's time. Now is the time. God is calling you home now. That's you. I want you to lift your hand up. Anybody here? Anybody else? You want to respond with these honest hearts. I'm ready to pray. Would you pray with me? Just lift your hand up. And God's going to help you tonight. Who would that be? You're ready to receive Jesus Christ. Okay, these that lifted their hand. You Would you just look at me eye to eye? Just as, did, did you mean that here? Did you, you meant that? Yeah? Over here, did you mean that? You did? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Could, could I have you come? They're going to walk with you. Just come meet me right here. We're going to pray with you. God's going to help you tonight. You'll have those. They're going to walk with you. Just come. God's going to help you. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but there's something powerful about moving towards Christ. God is going to help you. You're here tonight before we open these altars. And maybe a good portion of what I'm talking about really is where you're at right now. Maybe even your very words have been, How long, Lord? Or to something of that nature. Remind yourself, God is still God. He has not changed. God is doing something in you that He He knows. He understands. And I'm not saying God won't speak to you. I'm just saying in this psalm, it didn't require that because David just got a hold of all the promises of God. He made them real again, and then he was set free. And for some of you, that's going to be what God's going to do. He's going to remind yourself of the promises, the destiny, the purposes of God. For others, God is going to speak to you. God is going to speak to you. But you've got to stop so He can. So we're going to open these altars. I'm going to invite you to come. And let's touch heaven tonight. Let's get refreshed in His presence. Let's get renewed before God tonight. Amen. As we come and make our place at this altar, we're allowing God to lay hold of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Refocus. Upon God's goodness, what God can do, what God wants to do, what God has for you. Look, the promises of God are are set in stone. They're not something that God goes and takes back. They're established for all eternity. It's up to you to lay hold of them again. You may have strayed off because of discouragement or depression or, or all manner of things that could have caused you. Maybe in your wilderness trial like David went through, you finally gave up because you really did think God forsook you, or somehow He wasn't going to move, or this is—you thought somehow you could fix it on your own. And you realize that was a big mistake, and and it's caused you all sorts of heartache. But tonight, just realign with God. Remind yourself. Take hold of the reference points. God is going to encourage your soul today. And listen, it won't last forever. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Every mountain has a mountaintop. Thank you, Lord and Savior. I thank you, Lord. You're worthy, O oh God. Oh, God, meet with your people tonight. Cause grace to abound, my Lord. Move in your power by the Holy Spirit. God, encourage those that are discouraged. Oh, Lord, those, God, that have waited upon you, mount them up with wings of eagles. Cause them to run and not be weary, to walk and not be faint. Lord, the freshness of your presence at this altar tonight. Renew God. Bring the promises of God afresh. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You are great. Your name is great. God, we fix our eyes on you tonight. Your ability... What you've said to us in the past, God. What you have for our lives. Lord, that it would not be forfeited in the trials of life. It would not be forfeited in the wilderness of life. And God is hearing your prayer. He is hearing your prayer. Just don't... You know, when the Bible says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, we get it kind of backwards. We're anxious for everything. And we pray anxiously. When you get back to simply just praying and enjoying the presence of God and enjoying God's communing spirit with us and the freedom and the liberty that prayer produces in us, the place that we lay our burdens and walk away, trust God and though things may prolong for a little longer I don't know you'll change and that's what God's after God's fashioning and shaping in you things that cannot be done otherwise and even if we have to go through what we're going through till eternity listen we have eternity we have eternity there's nothing greater When you read the Bible, you read of people like the Apostle Paul. That's what kept him going. The thought that one day, uh, I'm out of this world and, and I'm dwelling in God's presence forever. No more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain. But in this life, God will meet with you. In this trial, God will move for you. God will refresh you. God will remind you. And God will speak to you. Thank you, Lord. Worthy, God. Worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let's just touch God tonight. Enter into His throne room of grace. Lift your hands. Let's just begin to lift our voices in worship and thank God tonight. Father, we thank You. We worship You, Lord. We thank You for Your abundant grace. Just begin to worship Him. There's power in worship tonight. Lift your voices and touch heaven. God, we thank You. All the goodness of God, we thank You, Lord. Uh, For all the mercy of God, we thank you, Lord. Uh, For all the promises of God, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we come to you with worship and praise and thanksgiving. Uh, God, we honor you in this place, and we thank you for your faithful word. Uh, Oh, God, your commitment to our lives. Uh, Oh, by the blood of Jesus, God, I speak refreshing. Uh, And renewal upon every weary soul tonight, God, breaking every yoke and every power of hell, Lord, every bondage and affliction. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's worship Him tonight. Oh, God, we thank You and worship You, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Redeemer. Oh God, we thank you, Lord, and worship you, giving you all the praise, all the glory. God is so good, He's faithful. Amen. And I love that promise in Isaiah about mounting you up with wings of eagles. It's a picture of refreshing even in weariness. And it's a picture of God intervening and moving in your behalf. In the same prayer meeting you can go from gloom to gladness. That's that's the power of prayer, that's the power of praise, that's the power of worship. You have to shift though what you're focusing on. And sometimes you have to stop with the anxious prayers and just get down to the business of worshiping God, thanking God, And it's amazing how that changes you. And understand that God is doing something in you right now that He cannot do without what you're going through. I know that kind of stinks, but that's just the way it is. But God's going to help you. God's for you. God's on your side. He he will move in you and through you. Amen. So let's be encouraged. Encourage one another. Uh, We do want to remind you of the Spanish service tomorrow. 7 o'clock, and then Friday night youth, if you're in the youth, we'll be here, uh, there'll be a small, small meeting by the uh, piano right after church, and then, of course, back in church on Sunday. Let's bow our heads. We're going to dismiss, thanking God, rejoicing all that he's done, all that he's doing, helping us with, uh, uh, and I'm going to um, uh, just ask if um, my brother George Runhill would lift his voice and dismiss us in prayer tonight. Amen.